Welcome to the His Light and Life podcast with your host, Mark, who will be your guide to enhance, deepen, and enrich your Christian life. To turn your focus away from just getting by to walking with God in His light and life. Welcome back to His Light and Life. We're going to pick up where we left last, left off last time, um, again with a couple of Charles Finney quotes. These are quotes I actually never really got to last time, and we're talking now about entering into the overcoming life and the distinctiveness of, quote, walking in the rest of God, which is the overcoming life, and walking in your self-efforts. And I like what Finney says here. He said, should we, because you have to understand, Finney uh, is making the distinction between the outward actions of sin, which I've talked about in the past as the leash and the muzzle. That's behavior modification. Most Christians believe that that's good enough. Most most Christians believe that's good enough. I, it's surprising how many Christians don't know that God knows what you're thinking. <laughs> he knows what you're thinking. It's interesting to know how many Christians believe the devil knows what you're thinking. He doesn't have a clue what you're thinking. He has to see you do something to know. God doesn't have to see you do something to know. He Not only does he know what you're thinking, he knows what your thoughts are, and he knows what they were before the foundations of the world, before he created anything, he knew what you would think. We we dealt with that on sovereignty. <laughs> so when you understand that your life, you just sort of picture it up on a up on a, on a whiteboard in, in eternity past, uh, and everything you'll do and everything you'll say and everything you'll think is written on that board and is allowed or disallowed based upon his own sovereign will, then you'll care less about that stuff and you'll get more interest. You'll get find your energy being directed to other things, particularly how you can celebrate and walk in the victory that Jesus won for you. But for this right now, when we're talking about you know, the the futility of battling against any kind of a desire by the force of resolution. I want to read what Finney says here. He says, should be, we become anchorists? And that's basically somebody who's like locked, locked in a cell. Picture someone who's chained to the, in the old days. They would put, you know, put you in the shackles and they would chain you to a prison wall. I mean, <laughs> you're just chained to a prison wall. Uh, you know, you're just sitting here in rags and somebody has to bring by the, you know, the, the bread and water every day. You're just, you can't even do anything. So he says, should we become anchorists, immure ourselves in a cell, locked away and crucify all our desires and appetites so far as their indulgence or so far as acting upon them is concerned. We have only avoided certain forms of sin. Those would be the actions of it. He goes, but, but the root, uh, the root that really constitutes sin is not touched. Our resolution has not secured love, which is the only real obedience to God. All our battling with sin in the outward life by the force of resolution only ends in making us whited sepulchers. That was a tomb. And I like what he says here. He says, love is the fulfilling of the law. We, uh, do we produce love by resolution? Do we eradicate selfishness by resolution? No, indeed, we may suppress this or that expression 
or manifestation of selfishness by resolving not to do this or that, praying and struggling against it. We may, um, we may resolve upon an outward obedience and work ourselves up to the letter of an obedience to the commands. But to eradicate selfishness from the breast by resolution is absurdity. That right there, um, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't emphasize. I, we're going to get to many, many other great authors who came to that own conclusion based upon long, hard trial and errors. The Holy Spirit. It's one of those lessons. The higher, the higher Christian life is a, is one of those lessons that a you want to start as soon as you can, but b it's learned through long, hard lessons in the Holy Spirit. And I wish those lessons, I wish I had started there instead of years and years and years of moving towards something that was absolutely impossible for my mind to even conceive and particularly impossible because I didn't have the tools available to me. So when we talk about when we talk about entering into the overcoming life, it's important to know that what I say, when I say the, the higher Christian life, the overcoming life, the abundant life, um, the fruitful life, there's a million different names for it. Understand that I'm, res- that what I'm referring to as a life that is looking to and resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, as opposed to a life that still thinks it has a role to play, that there's an expectation that God has of them and that they in some way could contribute, can contribute, are supposed to contribute or involved in any kind of contribution to that victory. Okay, so that's vital. So now when we talk about the kingdom, let's we're not really into teaching on holiness and sanctification right now. This is primarily about, I wanted to lay a foundation first of unity with the kingdom, the idea of God wove into this world, into his creation, a, a let's just call it a, a path of light and a path of unity and a path of, a path of cooperation and a path of victory. If you're walking, if you're using a piece of equipment or a device, the way that it was supposed to be used, there is a complete and total unity with that. When you either misuse the piece of equipment or the piece of equipment is somehow faulty, you know, you're going to notice that a lot of things start to go wrong really quickly. And we need to understand that, that this world, if I had to put a, put a word on it, um, thank goodness we don't, but if I had to put a single word on it, the thing that is woven into the very fabric, if you will, the very, the very marrow, if you will, of everything that God creates is agape love. Okay. God is love. And that agape love is woven into everything that he does, everything that he says, everything that he creates. You can't get away from it. You can't, you can't avoid it. You can't stop it. Okay. No. Now, one of the challenges you have with that is when you come back to it and you realize that God is love and you realize that of course a being who is filled with love filled with what is really deeper than love because we have 
we have several words for love, but the love that God is, is Hasid. That's the best word that you're going to find for it. And Hasid essentially means it is, it is his, and this is tricky. It is a love that esteems the good of the other. It is a love that puts the other ahead of itself continuously. If you really look at the Trinity, you're going to, you're going to see that the father is always esteeming the son and the son is always esteeming the father. The father loves the son and the son loves the father and the Holy Spirit is a dance around them, right? Even Jesus, when he said, when the spirit comes, he'll not speak of himself, but he'll take the things which are of me and he'll reveal them unto you. You see continuously the referral, if you will, of another in the Trinity. You see, you do, you do not see any of them pointing to themselves in glory, but you see all of the members of the Trinity pointing to each other in glory. And this is the root of everything that God creates. If you think about man, man fallen, he esteems himself greater than anything else. That's what the pride of life is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of a life is essentially esteeming yourself greater. We'll get clothing or jewelry or a house or just prestige, positions, jobs, education level. You can go, you can go, the list goes on and on and on. And it's born out of a desire. We call it, well, you know, self-betterment, make yourself better. And that, I'm not putting down the idea of improvement. Um, and the idea of improvement always was intended to be for the good of the civilization, for the good of the society. Let it be, let it be for the edification of the body that you seek to excel. That's what, how Jesus says it, right? Or Paul says it, speaking of the church. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let nothing be done through vain glory. But for the edification of the church, of the body, seek to excel. So when it says seek earnestly the best gifts or, you know, all of the things that we do in our Christian life should be for the furtherance of the body of Christ. The world can't do that. Adam can't do that. And the, and the challenge is if you're a Christian and you're walking in Hasid, which means essentially esteeming others greater than yourself. Okay. You're going to be fulfilling the quote written law, but you're going to be fulfilling that law on a far deeper level. You're going to be fulfilling that law in your heart because that's the love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart manifesting itself into the outward world. Do you remember we talked about where the idea that we have in the church of sin being the act, right? And Jesus came and he presented the obs, the obvious difference of that. He says, you know, if you even say of your brother without caught raka, which means fool or empty headed, you've it's, it's equivalent to murder because what you've done in that moment is you have esteemed yourself greater than that person. And you see this everywhere that we go. Now, in the Old Testament, 
God couldn't reveal that aspect of the kingdom because man was still fallen. There's no way that it isn't just that man couldn't produce that of himself. It's not just that that couldn't come out of his fallen heart because that was never the goal. God's goal is never that this comes out of your, out of your heart at all. It can't. This comes out of the heart of God. It is God's nature. God's nature is a seed. Okay? The newborn spirit inside of you can manifest that a seed. It can flow through it. Okay? I want you to picture as a, a, a very simple illustration of two hoses. The Bible talks about it as two streams, two rivers two trees and one tree cannot produce anything but bad fruit. Now, so in the old Testament, that's what you were dealing with. They couldn't produce anything but bad fruit because they were fallen. Okay. So God gave them the externals and the externals of the law, the written code, Enabled God, obviously, very well contained in the Holy of Holies. But it enabled him to be with the people. To be with the people. And his presence with his people shed the light around his people and protected them and kept them. They were kept from the law of sin and death. Okay? The the, the best example that you'll have of that is the vipers. So when they sinned, it says that the glory of the Lord lifted and vipers came into the camp. Now, there's a natural explanation for that. If you want to have a if you want to have a good time, just explain that to people and say say, you know, ask ask a fellow Christian, just have a good time with that one. Just say, "Where did the vipers come from?" <laughs> you know, all of a sudden there's hundreds of vipers going through the camp and, and all of the children of Israel are getting bit by these vipers and dying. And that's where you see God, uh, tell, instructs Moses to, you know, to make a serpent out of brass and to put it on a stick and hold it up. And then when they beheld it, they were cured, right? They were delivered from the poison. That's a wonderful illustration of the cross. Um, I hope I don't have to go through it heavily here, but I hope your pastor has done a phenomenal job with that by holding that serpent up on the cross. That was a type of Christ being held up. He was our sin. He was he was taking our place on the cross in the form of a serpent. I mean, we we're evil, right? But the question back here is where did the where did the vipers come from? I mean, does God have in heaven? Does he pouring out Buckets of vipers all over his people. You'd be surprised how many people will say that. They, they, I mean, they're out in the wilderness. They came from someplace. They didn't just boom, show up. But if you really, re, if you read your Bible, you'll realize that there was a protection upon the children of Israel. At nighttime, there was a fire above them that kept them warm. Cold deserts, little children, you know. And in the daytime, the sun beats very hot and there was a cloud over them to protect them. 
So you have to picture that, that they're covered by this. Okay. Now, as they, as they spent time in the wilderness, see the, the deserts are full. These desert wilderness are full of poisonous snakes. Snakes, all kinds of species of snakes live in, live in the wilderness, live in the deserts. And then the daytime they come out and sun themselves. And at the nighttime they go into caves and or they go into the ground and to stay warm. But you have to understand there's this pillar of pillow of fire over top of this people at night. And there's a cloud over them by day and snakes cannot, they cannot auto adjust their temperatures. They have to, they take on the temperature of their environment. So they have to lay in the sun to warm up and they have to go in the shade to cool down. Well, guess what was very attractive to these? How about climate control? Not just for the children of Israel, but it was climate control for the serpents. Now, when the glory lifted, the serpents kept moving direct. They were kept back. They could only come so close because they were protected. It was God's glory that was there. When God's glory lifted, guess what went into the camp? Moving closer, right? It thinks it's... These are just animals, but they think that, you know, I'm going to move closer to it, move closer to it, move closer to it. And they went right into the camp where the people were. That is a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about with the overcoming life. That is the, that is one of the most amazing examples of the overcoming life. And as you've heard me say, and will say again and again and again, the Old Testament is a beautiful picture story for what has been fully accomplished by Christ in the new. Okay. That's important. And God's presence with the people in the old Testament, in the wilderness kept them safe from the serpents. Just as his presence, when we're walking in the light, keeps us protected from the law of sin and death. Now. Okay. The law of sin and death is there and it will always be there as long as you're on this earth. It will be there until it's all cast into the lake of fire. And God makes a new heaven, new earth. This earth is reserved for fire to be fully burned. But until then, we walk completely free from it, free from its power, free from its influence. It actually doesn't see you, doesn't acknowledge, doesn't recognize you. Because it's a law of sin and death. Once you you died in Christ, so you no longer exist. You're, it, I'm going to use the term, you're no longer in its parlay. You're no, you're no longer in its purview. You're not in its realm. You've moved from the realm of darkness into light. You've passed from death to life. You've been raised up to newness of life in Christ Jesus. But you can alert. You can alert it to your presence by picking up self-reliance. Self-reliance is what keeps you from walking in the victory that Christ has produced. Remember Paul says in Galatians 3, you who desire to live by grace, or to live by the law, to be circumcised and live by law, I say to you, you've fallen from grace. Christ is of no benefit to you. Now, what he is not talking about there is losing your salvation. He's talking about stepping out of the grace. You've stepped out of Christ's victory. You've stepped out of the light. And how did he even say it? By being circumcised and trying to keep the law. You're going back. You foolish Galatians, who has beguiled you? You were doing well. 
Now, you who are running well, who are making great gains in the spirit, do you desire now to be purified by the flesh, to be, to be, to, for this work to continue by the flesh? They had been walking good. And then the Judaizers had come along and they had said, yeah, yeah, you're saved. Christ is great. All that's wonderful. Now you got to keep the law. Sounds like church, eh? It sounds exactly like church because that's what they're going to tell you all the time. You're going to hear it over and over and over and over. But what we're talking about now is the new. So you see that illustration in the old covenant where God was with the people, but he's behind the veil. He's in the tabernacle, but he's in the Holy of Holies. The new Testament is far greater than that. So now in order for them to, they they kept the law, the written code, the ordinances, the dictates and commands, and God would be in their presence, in their presence. And that being him being in their presence kept them from the, we're going to use the vipers as the illustration of the law of sin and death because they're a perfect illustration of it. So he kept back the law of sin and death in that type while they were in the wilderness. The new Testament, it isn't God behind the veil in the tabernacle, but it's God in your heart. It's you. It's not just simply God with you, but it's you with God. You're in the kingdom. You have freedom. Come boldly to the throne of grace in a time of need. We can speak to God. He can speak to us. We can relate to him. His word becomes alive to us. And the law of sin and death is held back because it can't come into his presence. It can't come into the light. It can't come into, it cannot come into the camp of you any more than the vipers could come into the camp of the children of wilderness, uh, children of Israel in the wilderness. Okay. So if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, keeps us, protects us, guards us from all sin. It's not simply about applying. Oh, you know, I've heard it said many times. Well, you know, you apply the blood of Jesus to yourself. You pray over yourself. I'm covered in the blood. That is not what I'm talking about. You're automatically covered in the blood of Jesus when you've laid down all efforts of self-reliance and realize that you've been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus and that he is your victory and that he is your only source of victory. When you do that, His love will flow through your heart, your desires, your mind, your nature, your, your attitudes, your behavior, and you will find yourself walking in harmony with the kingdom of God. The non-believer cannot walk in harmony with God. Even if they desired to, which they don't, they wouldn't be able to achieve it. Because walking in harmony with God requires total agreement with God. And the only thing that can agree with God is God. And that's why Jesus came as our substitute and him in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is in perfect lockstep with the Father God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you're resting, trusting, totally committed to your acceptance of his complete and total finished work, then you are truly in him. And being truly in him 
puts you in lockstep with the Father God and in fellowship of the presence of the Holy Spirit. People talk about grieving not the Spirit. Grieving not the Spirit means you don't do anything, touch anything in any way that puts yourself as a contributing factor in your victorious life. The second you pick up any effort at all in your own strength, beyond simple agreement, simply trusting, simply acknowledging and accepting his finished work on your behalf, the moment you do that, the moment you touch that, that's what the Bible calls you fall from grace. And what grace means, you fall from his ability. Grace is his power, presence, and ability in you. It is what Grace is what smooths out temptation. Grace is what keeps back evil thoughts. Grace is what protects you from this world where you are at rest. The person who's walking in the grace of Jesus Christ is walking in the rest of Christ. Okay? Do you remember in Hebrews it says he swore in his wrath, talking about the children of Israel, that they these people do always wander in their heart, they always go astray, and I truly, I swore in my wrath, they would not enter into my rest. They would not enter into my rest. And what he means by that was they didn't enter into the promised land. They died in the wilderness. Okay? And the Christian life is about leaving the wilderness leaving self-reliance behind, accepting the finished work of Christ and moving into the promised land. We're going to get into that in another podcast. It's a, it's a study unto itself, the Exodus story, but it's because it's the, it is the best picture that we're ever going to get of our journey. The best, uh, the best picture you're ever going to get of our journey, the best picture you're ever going to get to understanding what Jesus did for you. All of those processes are easily seen in the picture story in the micro version of this that was carried out first with the sand of the, with the sand of the sea in their Exodus story. Okay. We're going to leave it there today. I want to thank you for joining me on his light and life. Um, and we're going to continue on in this uh, study and looking into the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to his light and life. Do you have questions or want to speak with Mark? please reach out using the email in the description. We'll see you next time on His Light and Life.